Welcome to Respect Life Radio. My name is Deacon Jeff Bennett with Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com. Today, our guest is Jonathan Colbreth. He is an independent writer and living in Southern California. He also teaches Latin at a Catholic high school. And today we're going to talk about his recent article in the American Conservative called which freedom and whose relativism? Jonathan, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Uh, you know, I'm reading the article, and, you know, as, as we were mentioned right before we got on, I just kept getting all these visions of different individuals who have different reasons to compromise on kind of the moral foundational truths of, you know, of the world. And they always have have their reason for doing it because they may have the one thing they're willing to hang their hat on, but the other ones they're willing to give up. How prevalent is it to see conservatives really abandon all the moral truths for a particular one? Yeah, that's a good question. I think it's become more prevalent sort of since the the great fusion of, you know, neoconservatism and libertarianism under under Ronald Reagan, conservatism kind of morphed into a, just a new iteration of of liberalism, basically. Um, and uh, I think I think it would be fair to say that that sort of became the most representative form of conservatism uh, that, that you might be able to associate with the you know the Republican Party or or or. Um, other sort of so-called conservative movements. So I think I think it's fairly prevalent, um, and I think only recently have we started to see a resurfacing of an older type of conservatism. Um, you know, they call it common good conservatism, um, which is trying to trying to regain a little bit of a foothold in you know a recognition of the absolute. Or universality of moral truth, moral truth claims, um, and trying to restore that recognition to the political philosophy uh, of conservatism. Um, but uh, other than that, you know, I think I think the sort of capitulation to relativism is is quite prevalent. But it just it goes under. It's disguised in a certain in, in different ways. It's disguised by by. A, almost a hyper moralistic um, advocacy for, you know, the idea of, of our rights, right? Individual rights or our freedoms, um, which, you know, these are portrayed as kind of moral, moral ideals. But I think what they actually do more often than not is they, they cover over um, just another version of, of moral relativism. Um that's sort of how I how I look at it. Well, and you know, we know that you know Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So when we deny truth, we're really denying Christ, which in the end is evil. And I saw you know Father Dwight Longnecker posted something the other day that you know is something I think we all know. But it says first we overlook evil, then we permit evil, then we legalize evil, then we promote evil, then we celebrate it, and then we persecute right. those who call it evil and. Really, I think your article brought to mind, um, you know, when you talk about liberta- libertarians who just kind of 
you know, let me live my life, government, do whatever you're going to do. But once you abdicate and let the government corrupt truth to try to get that back, you know, like closing Pandora's box. Mm-hmm. You know, exactly. That's a great, that's a great way to put it. I mean, I think, I think what you just said about how there's this uh, progression f- from overlooking the truth to to letting it be legalized and then letting it be, sorry, overlooking evil to letting it be legalized to letting it be celebrated and so forth. That's, I think that's exactly what, what, what happens if you, if you begin with a kind of libertarian philosophy, it's a, it's basically a, a refined philosophical way of overlooking grave public evils and, and basically letting them, Letting them have free reign and and take over a society, um, yeah, I think that's exactly right. Well, you know, you talk about you know the woke culture in your article, whether it's critical race theory, gender ideology, the LBGT, LBGTQ ideology, and it's interesting how you know, and we've seen it with public figures and politicians. Uh, you know, the one that comes to mind is Rob Portman, senator in Ohio. When, you know, he was the defender of marriage and then he found out one of his kids struggled with same sex marriage, same sex attraction. And then all of a sudden that moral truth, right, that marriage is between a man and a woman no longer applied to him because what happened in his family made him change his view on truth. And that's that moral relativism, right? If, if my life doesn't quite measure up, then I just change it. And, you know, what the heck with everybody else. Right, right. I mean, I think even even a number of conservatives who privately or who, who will admit privately to still believing in in an objective order of moral truth, or even in believing in things like uh, you know that marriage is between a man and a woman, um, still will not want you know will not want the government doing anything about about that maybe they'll draw the line somewhere but but um i think you find plenty of conservatives who even though they admit sort of privately uh <laughs> that there is some kind of objective moral order they don't want the government to have anything to do with that and i think that's i think i think that's sort of an inconsistent position and i think that that inconsistency is borne out in cases, uh, you know, like the case you mentioned, where maybe a politician actually um, does change his his view, even um, or his approach to politics, and it kind of shows where his, you know, what is the truly consistent position if you if you adopt a sort of moral relativism in the public sphere or as a public figure, uh, it. Um, it, it tends to lead to, you know, adopting that as a whole philosophy. And I think you even see you even see some conservatives going in that direction. You know, you you see a lot of conservatives who are explicitly defending things like, you know, uh, woke ideology or the or the way that it is taught in the schools. But they're defending it not necessarily because they believe it or or, or whatnot, but because they believe in some sort of right to free speech and i think um i think they i think it's uh it, it sort of shows where where that kind of an ideology leads it leads to the actual defense of of exam
examples, real examples of of moral relativism. Um, and uh, I think that it really does show the inconsistency of the the conservatives who want to maintain that there is a moral order, an objective moral order, but don't want to commit to, uh, you know, the political recognition, a political defense of that same moral order in practice. Well, and if you don't defend it politically, then you become the hunted, right? I mean, it's 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 interesting. You know, we we've, we've had Supreme Court decisions. You know, whether it's uh, Obergefell and Hodges on the marriage back in 2015, but just recently we had Bostock versus Clayton County, where Gorsuch, who was supposed to be a conservative, yeah. actually wrote the majority. Yeah if I remember right, where he defended gender ideology as a civil right and, yes. and basically an employment law. And so once you give up the ghost, you can just see how this thing gets, it, it spirals and picks up speed. Yeah, that's another great example uh, uh, in the Bostock case. I think, of course, which is another sort of emblem or a symbol of of what happens when you, when you, adopt that kind of an ideology. Um, it leads to certain places almost unavoidably. Maybe conservatives will will get there a little more slowly <laughs> than the progressives who are willing to, you know, take these to their furthest conclusions right away. But, but you know, uh, friends of mine have said conservatism really is, at this point, just um, progressivism in slow motion. Um, and, <laughs> and uh, you know, I I remember when that wasn't the case with, you know, the older, the older conservative commitments. Um, but well, it was like, by and large, it was come a, that way. Embracing, embracing of the teachings of Jesus Christ, right? We knew that, yeah. you know, teachings don't change, but we've seen that, right, in faith community after faith community. And even within the mm -hmm. Catholic Church, right, we see the schism going on in Germany, right? I mean, trying to change the moral truth to live this life of false compassion, to let people live a lie because we want them to feel good about themselves. Right, right. Um, yeah, it's just another another version of the same of the same compromise with moral relativism. Um, maybe under a different name, under the name of compassion or whatever, um, but. Um, I mean, I think that is that is what happens every time something like this happens. Every time a compromise with 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 moral relativism takes place, it's always justified under another name, right? You know, on you know, progressive liberals may justify it um, by an appeal to certain kinds of you know ideals that look like they're moral ideals, um, you know, whether it's compassion or or um, or something else, synodality maybe, um, but uh, but in the, on the conservative side of the spectrum, the same thing happens. They just use different different words to justify the same compromises, um, and maybe they're compromising on different different issues. But it's all it's all just versions of the same thing, um, versions of a of a type of liberalism, basically. It really does, right? To live, to live by the moral order, it takes courage, right? It doesn't. In this woke culture, where you're going to get hammered, here's the deal: you're going to get hammered anyway, because as you said, you know, conservatism is like a slow bleed yeah. to progressivism. 
So at some point, man up and defend the truth, because if we don't, we see it, right? Our kids are going to suffer. What's being taught in schools, what's being, you know, jammed down their throat. And then we wonder how it happened. And then we blame everybody else and we forget to look in the mirror. Yes. Yes. Um, I, I have always sort of been inspired here by the example of the, the early Christian martyrs, you know, in the, in the pagan Roman empire, um, they weren't, I mean, many of them were, of course, were in, were hidden and in secret and in the catacombs, but that was more of a self-preservation. It wasn't, they didn't attempt to sort of justify, uh, that way of life by appeals to, you know, privacy or, or things like this. They were actually out to convert the world, um, to convert the Roman empire itself. And, and I think in a way you have to acknowledge that even the, the early Christian martyrs who, who, who were persecuted brutally for their Christianity. They were persecuted because they had a, they were clearly um, committed to the conversion of the empire, not just, they were not committed simply to, you know, practicing their religion in private and, and hoping that nobody bothered them. They were committed to, to the conversion of the empire and, and they achieved it um, eventually, um, you know, after much persecution and much, you know, much struggle, but they, I think they had the sort of manly quality you're talking about, which is they were they were willing to to stand up and really engage in the fight um, um, for I guess it's a fight for the kingship of of Christ, right? His his social kingship, um, uh, and that really requires a, a radical political commitment um, and. Yeah, I don't think I don't think a, a philosophy that um, a, like a conservative philosophy that is merely trying to preserve a status quo of um, of you know even a constitutional status quo. I don't think it quite goes far enough when you're when you're comparing it to you know that early spirit of the martyrs in the Roman Empire. Yeah, and I think to your point call to Christians hasn't changed since that point either, right? It's the fact Not that it's the fact that we've abdicated after, you know, as you said, we, there's story after story. All you have to do is read the early church fathers. We see the courage. And yet we, I think you're right. You know, just let us live our lives and everything will be fine, right? Let's compromise on this and compromise on that. Right. When in the end, the compromise never works. And the truth is attractive, right? The truth radiates the truth brings the light and all we do is contribute to the darkness when we deny that truth don't we exactly yes and i think you're exactly right that this call to christians so i guess this is a message to 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 christians and catholics in particular not just to any conservatives but the i think you're right that that christians and catholics are still called and this vocation has not changed since the early times they're still called to to you know, bear witness, bear te- testimony to the truth, to their faith, in the public order as well as in private. And I think, I think even you know, as as recently as the Second Vatican Council, that has been that has been the constant sort of exhortation of the Catholic Church to her faithful. Um, the laity are called to to um, infuse the whole temporal order with the spirit of the gospel and 
Uh, you know, you need to have those are fighting words. <laughs> those are that's a, that's a that's a real political commitment. That's not just a that's, that is not satisfied by any kind of compromise with with the ideologies of the world or any kind of libertarian philosophy. Well, we are the church militant, and if we think we're going to get to the church triumphant by being passive, by compromising on the truth, I don't think judgment's going to go too well when we tell the Lord, you know what, Lord, it it was hard. People didn't like me. Um, I might have lost my job or, you know, my my niece or my, you know, brother didn't talk to me. I mean, can you imagine him saying, oh, yeah, 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 that that's just too hard to, to overcome. I totally agree with you. That's not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's true. I think um, there are a lot of, you know, conveniences of, of modern life that we're not willing to give up, um, which we might be at risk of having to give up if we really if we really stood up um, for our faith in that way. Um, you know, the world has its way of seducing us into submission. <laughs> um, and maybe all of our ideologies that we invent are just a way of sort of excusing ourselves. Yeah, I think you're right. I think in the end, you know, I think we think it's going to help us sleep better at night when in reality we know the truth and, you know, we hear the truth will set you free. But, you know, the Lord warns us all about, right, about beware, you know, wolves in sheep's clothing, you know, know that if they hated you, they hated me first. I mean, he goes into explicit detail about the challenges of what it means to be a Christian in the world. Yet yeah. the minute things get tough, we cut and run. And then we're like, geez, I don't know how it got this bad. Yes. Yes. Um, it got this bad because we weren't, we weren't standing up for it in the first place. And uh, yeah, there's some sort of illusion that if we, if we simply, you know, preach about, you know, our freedoms or, you know, freedom of speech or freedom of thought or, um, uh, or I don't know, limited government or these buzzwords that, you know, you hear conservatives use a lot. There's some, I think people are under the illusion that if you preach about that enough, then your opponents will stop, you know, beating you down. <laughs> and I don't think they're going to care. They're not going to care. Um, you have to actually engage in the, in the struggle. Um, and, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a struggle for the kingdom, for the kingdom of God. You know, it's a real kingdom, not just a metaphorical well, kingdom. And we are, we are the church militant. We are his soldiers in a, in a real sense. Um, well, and I think in the end, you know, it's, it's great to know the moral truths, but we have to be able to articulate them right in the end. This is about winning people over to the truth, not abdicating, not cutting and running. And so when we deny moral truth, when we deny natural law, then why does why should anybody listen to anything we say, right? Because all we're doing is lying to people, which in the end doesn't show our love for them. It just shows the weakness we have within ourselves and the lack of integrity to speak the truth. Sure, sure. And I would I would add to that though, not just speaking the truth, but I think a um you know, adopting a, a philosophy of government really does come down, I think, to a sort of political philosophy, a philosophy of government, whereby the government has the same obligation to the truth that any individual does. 
um, right? Because the government is still it's still an institution of human beings, and we have we have the same obligations to the truth and to the natural law as a society that we do as individuals. So, so you know, you can you can advocate or you can argue and you can you can say the truth um, as much as you want, but then when it comes to governance if you if you sort of backtrack in practice on what you said when you were when you were arguing or debating um or doing apologetics or whatever in effect in practice you've still you've still relativized the truth and i think that's that's sort of the problem with a with a libertarian version of conservatism is that even though it might say that you know believes in an objective moral order it doesn't adopt a philosophy of government that that really gives any that makes that credible because um its philosophy of government would would uphold a type of government which would in practice still relativize the truth um, um so we need you know we need a kind of consistency on between our our private commitments and our political commitments on that score well, we need to hold people accountable, right? I mean, just because somebody says I'm Catholic, uh, you know, I don't even know what that means half the time anymore. All we have to do is look at our, you know, president, speaker of the house. You know, we can go on and on and on. Right. You know, all those, you know, that's just a hollow definition when people yeah, do no, whatever they want anyway. That's a good point. I mean, I like, um, you know, our our Catholic politicians. You know, I think I think Biden, Joe Biden, used to say that in private he, you know, he he had certain positions about how wrong abortion was, but in public he wasn't willing to, you know, bring his religion into into political life. I don't know if he's that that I don't know if he speaks that way anymore. I think maybe maybe even his private beliefs have changed. But you know, this used to be a really common common trope, you know, political or Catholics in pol- in politics would say, you know, they believe one thing as Catholics, but in public or in their in their political governance, they aren't willing to bring their faith to bear. Um, it's the same type of problem that you see, I think, uh, with with, you know, libertarians who maybe believe in an objective moral order, but don't think that, that, that politics or the government should have anything to do with it is exactly the same kind of inconsistency. Um, that's why I say at the end of my article, you know, a a conservatism that adopts this libertarian approach in response to progressivism is misguided, not just because it's powerless <laughs> against progressivism, but because it's simply the same thing on on an ideological level. Um, it's, it's just another version of the same relativism. And it is. That's why I think, you know, I highly recommend people going on the American conservative uh, so they can see, read the article, because I think you bring out a lot of good points. And again, I was reading and every time I read it, different thoughts popped into my head. Now, you teach high school students. Um, what is their what is their thought? You know, you're trying to teach the truth. And I know you're teaching Latin, but. They hear it there and then they go out into the world, probably even into their own families, and they get bombarded with all these lies. I mean, it, it's got to be hard being a kid nowadays. Yes, for sure. Uh, yeah, so small correction, I'm not teaching anymore. I, I, I was oh. teaching until very recently, but I can still speak to your question. I mean, I, I've, I've had a lot of opportunity to, to reflect on 
on exactly what you're saying. You know, you know, even in even in Catholic schools, you know, students are are up against up against a lot. I mean, the Catholic faith is up against a lot of you know attacks and threats from from what you might call secularism or secular liberalism, um, and and you know the kids they need an environment when they're that young, especially they need an environment that'll protect them from that kind of you know onslaught of secular ideology, and it's really hard for them to get that anywhere, and um, and especially when they're so impressionable at, at that young age, um, you know, uh, it, it amazes me as a teacher. It, has, it amazes me how young these kids are when they start imbibing these ideologies already. They start caring so much about these issues and they start, you know, you, you, you see that they are, um, I mean, I'll, I'll use the word, they are indoctrinated. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, but but there's no but I don't think the solution to that is going to be simply you know more free speech or or whatever. Um, the solution is that you need to provide you need to provide them as a teacher. I would need to provide them with a, a much more solid foundation in the true doctrine you know of of Christ and the Gospels and the true doctrine of the natural law and all these things. That's the only way you can really safeguard them from from this from the secular ideology that is everywhere now. Um, and it's such a, it's a really difficult business because, because if you're a Catholic teacher, you're, and if you're an Orthodox Catholic teacher, you're way in the minority there. Now you're, yep. <laughs> it feels like a losing battle. Um, I mean, I don't know if it is, but I hope not with God's grace, but it, but it feels like you're up against forces that, that, um, are, are overwhelming um, in the world. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and here's the other thing, right? Parents, if you got, if you're a parent or a grandparent listening to this, look in the mirror because your primary responsibility is to teach your children the faith. High school teachers can help. Other people can help, but it's our primary responsibility. And if we're going to defend and love the truth, it starts in our own homes and be able to articulate and try to unwind the brainwashing that's going on in our children by living the truth, sharing truth, and being able to talk the importance of truth. So I can't agree with you more. How can people follow what you're doing? So you can find me on Twitter. Jonathan Colbreth is my name. Respect Life Radio is produced by Catholic Charities in the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com.